Let us pray. God, we thank you for this day, this opportunity to freely gather here and worship you, for this day of welcoming and celebration, for this ministry you've given us in this church and in our community. And God, as we examine your word once again, we pray, Lord, that your spirit would speak into our hearts, minds, and lives that which you have for us this day and each day. May my words be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Today for our scripture readings, uh, coming from the lectionary, we're going to look at Romans, this passage from Romans. Uh, Romans is a great book. It's, a, it's really kind of a, a, theo a theological book. It's very rich, very deep. Uh, like many of Paul's writings, it's also very wordy, sometimes hard to understand because it's so thick. But what I wanted to do as we looked at this is I wanted to look at this word grace. Grace is a word that we use all the time. But I think it's a word that we have a hard time understanding. It's a word that we have a hard time grabbing a hold of, really, even when we understand it. I think sometimes it's hard for us to embrace, to accept fully. But of course, when I think of the word grace, I don't know, those of you that watch movies, we like movies, especially Christmas movies. I don't know if you knew I liked Christmas. <coughs> but anyway, I always think of that movie National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but if you haven't, it's worth watching. It's absolutely hysterical. And uh, it's a story of a family and their Christmas vacation where basically everything goes wrong. But at one point in the movie, they're sitting down for what is a very uh, difficult uh, Christmas time dinner. And they ask, you know, the elder statesman, the, 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 the aunt, to uh, offer the grace. And so they say, you know, grace, and of course she can't hear, and so they spent several months explaining it, and, and the first thing she says is, grace, she died years ago. And by the time she gets to understand that she's supposed to pray, she recites the Pledge of Allegiance. I think it's actually a fitting story, a fitting moment, because so many times when we deal with this word grace, that's kind of how we feel. We, we fumble around it. We don't understand what it means. In fact, recently I caught myself wrestling with this because somebody asked me, what, what does this word grace really mean? It's a good question. It's a legitimate question. So oftentimes we use these words, our religious language that we're used to, and we don't know what we mean. We, we forget that maybe sometimes those around us don't know what we mean. And so before I kind of take a look at this word and this language a little bit, I want to look at Romans 6, our second reading, and you're invited to look along if you'd like, because I think this gives us a little bit of a glimpse of grace. In verse 1, we have an important part of Paul's theology, an important uh, reality that grace is really not an excuse to keep on sinning. Paul says this strongly, that, and that is a temptation, that we receive God's grace, and so there is this, I think, this temptation to keep on sinning. But when we look at grace as a free pass to do whatever we want, what we do is we glorify sin instead of God's grace. And while grace means that we are free in spite of our sin, it also calls us to something greater. It reminds me of the story of Jesus. If you remember from the scriptures, when he encounters the woman caught in adultery, that they want to stone her. And so what happens is, you know, he says to the crowd, he of you who is without sin, throw the first stone. All right? 
And so nobody, of course, throws a stone. But he says to the woman, go and sin no more. He doesn't sit there and say, now, look at what you did. Here's a list. Here's your punishment. But Jesus didn't shy away from the fact that God's grace calls us to something else as well. That while it means we can be forgiven, it also means that we're called to go and sin no more. Looking at verse 2. Again, it's not an issue of permission to sin. It means to move beyond our sin, in fact. That's what grace helps us to do. To move beyond our sin. That we are more than the sum of our mistakes. We are more than our moment of failure. We are more than our personality flaws, which I thank God for daily. Verse 4 reminds us that grace is this new kind of life. It's a new kind of life of living in Christ. It's not a life about justice and revenge and fairness and punishment. It is the baptized life. In our baptism, we die to our sin. We embrace the covenant of God's grace. And the good news about grace is that it's what God is doing and what God has done. It has nothing to do with what we do, what we have done. We're simply embracing what already is. We're accepting what already is. It's this new life that we are invited to, this new life in Jesus Christ. In verses 5 through 7, Paul calls us to conform to Christ. That The good news of grace is that we are loved by God in spite of everything. But... We're called to a new life. We're called to a new conformity. We're called to conform to the way of Jesus Christ. It's different. It's a different life. It's a different way. So oftentimes, as I said, it's opposite of the ways of the world. And then Paul, in verse 8 through 11, he rehashes his argument again. Paul liked to repeat himself. He liked to argue in several ways so that we wouldn't miss the point. That grace is a gift. It's not a gift that says do whatever you want. It's a gift that says there's more. There's a new way. There's a new life in Christ Jesus. That's the beauty of grace. Is It's the gift of new life. To live in a new life in Christ is to accept God's grace. To embrace God's grace while still valuing the law, while still valuing those principles, those rules, those things that God has given us. Knowing that as we seek to live out and be who Christ has called us to be, when we fail, God's grace covers us. It's an invitation. That's what grace is. Grace means... Also, not just accepting it, but dispensing it. See, I think sometimes we can gladly accept the grace others give us when we fail, when we make mistakes, when we sin. But when someone else fails us or sins against us, it's harder for us to offer grace. I see this most in my own life when I'm behind the wheel of the car. Again, 5,400 miles. 
I saw it a few times. I'm so thankful that person let me in and wasn't mad for me jumping in. And then I offer my corrective wisdom to the person who does it to me five minutes later. And that's the challenge of grace. Not just accepting it, but dispensing it as well. We're called to adopt attitudes of grace. I mean... <clears throat> Here's the irony. This scripture is in the lectionary. It was in there long on this day, long before, you know, I ever looked at it or even came to St. Mark's. And believe it or not, I actually wrote the sermon before I even left for vacation. But I find it kind of ironic that after taking a 13-day, 11-state, 5,400-mile journey with my family, that I have to come back and preach on grace. There were a lot of opportunities for grace in those 13-hour days in the car, in, those, in all of those miles traveled. God gives us so many of those opportunities for grace. They're all over the place. And I think that grace is the harder route. It's not the more natural response of us. Again, whether it's my kids fighting in the back of the car or the person in front of me that doesn't understand uh, what the left lane means. There are these moments where we are given opportunities to offer grace and we struggle to. And we all have those areas, those pet peeves. We can be very gracious about this, but we can't be gracious about this. I mean, that's human nature. You know, for me, uh, you know, I can, I can very easily, you know, kind of not think about somebody who is rude, but boy, I, I struggle to be gracious when someone hurts a child, for example. We, we all have those moments. We all have those things where we struggle to offer and to dispense grace. And yet this God of the universe just gives it to us freely regardless of what we do. That, that there's not this list of, okay, I can forgive you, Marcus, as long as you don't do this. Or I can be gracious to you as long as you don't do this. Or you don't do this too much, right? And I think that that's one of the challenges of grace. As I said in children's time, grace means that we are all God's favorites. Despite whatever we might do. That we are all God's favorite. That, that grace is God's unmerited, undeserved favor and blessing. That's what grace is. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. Yet God gives us favor. God gives us blessing. God gives us love. God gives us a free pass in spite of that. That's the beauty of grace. It's the most wonderful gift of, uh, of all. But this knowing God and knowing God's grace, it's about more than ethical change. So oftentimes we reduce Christianity to a change in behavior or a change in beliefs, but it really is a change in lifestyle. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked often about this concept of cheap grace. It's kind of what Paul talks about a little bit in the beginning here. This idea of doing whatever we want because of God's grace. I mean, I remember so many times people deciding to come to know Jesus and saying, well, good, that means I can do whatever I want now. But the truth is that grace is costly. It didn't cost us, doesn't cost us anything. But it cost Christ everything. 
that grace is in fact costly. But maybe grace does cost us something because the truth is grace means that we forgive and we repent. Those things take work. You see, cheap grace is forgiveness without repentance. Cheap grace is following Jesus without discipleship, without learning and growing in our faith. But this costly grace that we even heard about at the end of our gospel reading, to take up our cross and follow this Jesus. That grace was so important that Jesus died for it. It calls us to something deeper. Grace doesn't just give us a past, doesn't just give us the gift of eternity. It calls us to something deeper, to a deeper kind of life, to living like Christ, to living differently than the world. To offer grace to others is not our natural mode in the world. We like justice. We like fairness. We like equity. Truth be told, we oftentimes like revenge. We like seeing people get what they deserve, but we don't like getting what we deserve, right? But this message of the world is broken. You see, grace is the opposite of karma. It's this, this mindset that exists so much, and it's unfortunate because I, I, it can't possibly be true. But we can't embrace grace without faith. That's our Lutheran, great Lutheran principle, right, that Martin Luther offered to us, that we are saved by faith alone through grace alone, that our act is to trust. That's what faith is. But we can only trust because of God's grace. We're only saved because of God's grace. And so this word grace is more than just a word. But it's a word that's beyond our understanding. Even as I researched it and I looked at this passage and I tried to answer questions about it, it's so foreign to our minds that it's beyond our understanding, right? To give grace, to receive grace. It's getting what we don't deserve and not getting that what we deserve, right? It's illogical, it's unfair, it's inconsistent. All things that we don't like in our culture. All things we don't like to see. Yet it's deeply personal. It's deeply relational. I've found that the more personal I take grace, the more personally I accept it, I embrace it, I allow it to be, the less personal everything else around me seems to be. It's relational. It's about this relationship with the God of the universe. It's meant to be personal for us. We can believe in grace. We can understand it. But to accept it, so many times we receive grace from God or from others that we know that we don't deserve, right? And we struggle to accept that. We struggle to accept it from others. We struggle to accept it from God. But we've got to embrace it. That's one of the great things that we can do in response to God. It's a gift. It cost Jesus everything. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. Yet we have it. And so our call is to know it, to accept it, to dispense it to others, to embrace it so that we can be transformed, so that we can be more like Christ. 
And the good news of the gospel is that in spite of our failures, in spite of our mistakes, in spite of our faults, in spite of our personalities, we are God's favorite. God loves us. God likes us. God accepts us. It's a gift. It's a gift that we are called to accept, a gift that we are called to embrace without apology, without embarrassment. We're called to embrace God's grace. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this day, for this opportunity to gather here and study your word, to think about this concept of grace. And God, we recognize that we don't understand it. It is so illogical. It is so much bigger than ourselves. It is so undeserved, unmerited, that we can't fully understand it. Yet, in the midst of our not being able to understand, God, help us to accept your grace. Help us to dispense your grace to others. God, help us to embrace your grace with every fiber of our being that we would take grace personally, that we would pursue a deeper relationship with you, that we would trust you, and that as a result, Lord, everything else would become less personal. And we would be transformed into the people that you have created us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.